Hello, junkies, crackheads, stoners, pill poppers, booze bags, coke fiends, ravers, rockers, hippies, hobos, potheads, wasteoids, losers, hipsters, racists, therapists, professors, homophobes, flaming homosexuals, big book thumpers, 12-steppers, hypnotists, skinheads, Mormons, Jews, agnostics, Eskimos, and any and all other members of the Dopey Nation. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drug addiction and dumb shit. And here's Dave and Chris. Okay. We're gone? Yep. Good morning. Good morning. So I don't have to say the thing. You don't have to say it. And now I want to say it. Yeah, but we should also ask the Dopey Nation, um, what do you think of the new intro? Should we keep it? I mean, we've done it on the last three episodes and gotten mostly good reviews. One bad review. I, 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 I think what I always think. Do you, you think you hear the one bad thing and then you no, no, freak no. out? What I think, and it's what I always think... Is that we should do different things every time? No. Do this. We do that. We change, like Howard Stern. We change it up. The dopey nation needs some consistency in their life. I think you do. I think it has, it's some. You have a multitude of disorders <laughs> germinating in that sick head, and I think they're communicating. We need the same thing every time. Routines are good. You got to build good habits. I really think that your mental condition is one of. Oh shit! Here he comes. Um, What's going on? Matt Pinfield is texting me asking if we're calling him or uh, he's calling us. Yeah, so Dopey Nation, we have this guy Matt Pinfield coming on the show. He's an ex-MTV video host. He's way more than call that. It? Way, I should really have his uh, thing up. Uh, Matt Pinfield is uh, a musicologist. He's an author. He's a music journalist. Musicologist? That's an actual term? Well, he's not actually a musicologist, but, but it is, is that, an actual term. It yeah. is? Yeah, it's a very, very exciting term. It's for somebody who studies music. Famous musicologists are like Alan Lomax, who discovered uh, Lead Belly and Robert Johnson and Muddy Waters. Musicologists. Muddy Waters of those three. What do you know about Muddy Waters? Uh, I, they're like kind of like Southern sounding, right? No, he's from Chicago. But Do don't know? they have like a southern sound? It's not they. It's a guy named Muddy Waters. Oh. Um, before we even get going, just this is Muddy Waters, just so you know. Because it's too good not to know. Because I know you, you actually, even though you don't care about music, deep down, you like good music. Well, listen to this. Well, deep down, everybody likes good music, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know this. I know this. Yeah. And good fellas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's got a southern sound to it, I would say. It's because he's black. He's from the south. He moved to Chicago. Yes, sir. Just live? It's a mix of... Well, ask Matt Pinfield if he knows. Yep, 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 yep. This should be the theme song to go to. Isn't this from Problem Child? I didn't see Problem Child. <laughs> you are Problem Child. You never saw Problem Child? No. All right, let's call this guy. Right? Yeah, it's good. It's great. Anyway. Wonderful. I think he's from the South. He moved to Chicago. And he's, Matt, uh, he's in recovery. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, we should call him right now? Yeah, let's call him. All right, we'll call yeah, him. Yeah, so if you watched... Uh, well, well, I'll say it on the show. What? No, I'll say it on the show. Uh, you're not. I don't. I don't. I don't you want, want me to you, talk. I don't want you to <laughs> talk. Be, to I'll me. be quiet. I don't want you to be quiet. You're be, there's no. Oh! There's no. Two things you there's should. No one's I'm going to be able to say. No. Two hour. things that you have really very much in common with Matt Pinfield. He went to Karen and Los Encinas. 
Oh, you went to Las Encinas? Yeah. I went to Las Encinas. You, you, you went about one that. of these. Yeah, I didn't go to Karen. You didn't? No. But I went to Renaissance they, as Karen took over. Karen Renaissance. Well, it wasn't it that. It wasn't that. Though. No, back then it was, it was just Renaissance. I'm sure they toned it back a bit when Karen put its stamp on it. You know? Huh? I'm sure they toned back Renaissance as soon when Karen put its stamp on it. Because Renaissance was like, was like their hardcore treatment center. I thought Karen was hardcore. No, it's pretty fancy. They call it the General Motors of Rehab, Karen. The General Motors of Rehab, like it's a standard kind it's, of operation. That's like no Hazelton's like the gold <sighs> standard. They call and Renaissance Karen, they is call, like the expensive. They call Karen because it just churns people. It's just a lot of people. It's like very like structured, and they have like tons of tons of residents. What I think is funny about Karen is that when I heard, I didn't know anything about it when I was yeah. at Renaissance, but everyone was saying Karen's coming to to. You know, take check over. out yeah. Renaissance to take over. I always thought it was called Caring. You know, and I was like, that's yeah, a nice name. Better, yeah. Why is it called Karen? I don't know. Probably some dude named Karen. Motherfucker. Karen or Renaissance something. fucking blue. It was like, I just, I don't even believe in treatment. That's the point. How do you like that? I don't even believe in it. And on that note, Dave is, uh, just had an interview to get his KSAC, which is the degree to become a, a alcohol and drug counselor. So I'm, I'm just on my you way. should lead with that. Did you lead with that? In your, I don't believe in treatment. <laughs> no, what I said was, the, the, the woman says to me, why do you want to do this? And I said, I hate waiting tables. <laughs> Is that really what you said? I said, I said, I don't want to be 55 years old running around schlepping pastrami is what yeah, I said. Schlepping, you said that? No. Oh. <laughs> I just said, you know, time's running out on me. I need a second act in my life. I've been waiting tables for 10 years and I want to do this. Is schlepping Jewish? It's Yiddish. Yiddish, but it's yeah. Jewish. Yeah, I've actually wanted to play a little game with you called What Yiddish Words Do You Know? Schlepping. You knew that word? I've heard of it, yeah, but I just haven't heard what it. What does it mean, time. to schlep? It's like, uh, just like serving, selling. Neither. No. Schlepping is, is the, the suffering. Carrying it around. Yes. Yes. Going from one place to another. Okay, so yeah, because you schlep from one area to the next. Yes. Okay, so it's schlep. Sh- what, a, what a sad people schlep. we are. Okay, uh, oy vey. What does that mean? It's like, oh no, or oh wow, like, my gosh. You're a beautiful person. <laughs> right? That's good. What else you got? Um, uh, oh, what did uh, Nick Reiner said something once that stuck with me? A clumsy person is a putz. No, oh yeah, that's one. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I was thinking of the easier one, which is klutz. Yeah, putz or klutz. Um, oh, what did Nick Reiner, he said something to me that I was like, I never heard that before, but it, and it was like a Jewish thing. What was it? Something about... Um, with his parents, I don't remember. <laughs> it's gone. It's, it'll pop up randomly. In the Fuck it. Let's call him Matt Penfield. Who cares what you know about Yiddish? All right. But Yiddish is a beautiful language. Yeah. My grandma used to talk in Yiddish. Here we go. Matt Penfield on Dopey. Get ready. You got to hold the butt of the phone I right here. Holding the you got to hold thing. it just right. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, Matt. How you doing? I'm good. Good morning. How are you doing? It's uh, raining in L.A. for the first time, and I've made who knows since I moved here in June. <laughs> so I'm amazed so, that you're up so early. It's got to be crack of dawn out there. No, I'm always up early, you know, from doing morning shows in New York and San Francisco over the years. And, yeah, my body is just accustomed to getting up early, especially being sober. You know, it just uh, – I wake up generally no later than 5 a.m. every morning. And walk the dog, <laughs> you know. Nice. Then, Metaphorically, uh, or actually, there's a dog. <laughs> yeah. There is a dog. There is an actual dog. Yeah, Willie. Uh, he's a one-eyed 
rescue. Uh, he's, I just get up and walk him. He's expecting me to walk him early in the morning. And that way I beat all the other dogs out there. So I think uh, Dave thought that walk the dog was a nefarious reference to something else that you do when you wake up. Yeah, Walking the Dog is uh, what was a great old song by Rufus Thomas that Aerosmith covered years and ago. And the Stones. And the Stones, that's right, on the Stones on the very first record, right? I like so that great. Stones cover of Walking, that's my favorite one. Is this, I like Rufus Thomas, I never even heard the Aerosmith version. Yeah, they did it on their first album too, and obviously they were Stones fans, you know? You know, it's really funny when you see that, great, it's a great picture of young Steven Tyler being about 15, meeting Mick Jagger in New York City. It's like the uh, Clinton meeting Kennedy picture. It's kind of like, you know, all right, here's your destiny. This is what you're going to end up doing. <laughs> and he point. knew, and I have to say, it's such a treat to have you on the phone. Um, yep, Matt. So, Matt, my name's Chris. So, I... I um uh, Dave mentioned you were coming on the show and the name sounded familiar and then I looked you up and as soon as I saw your picture I was like oh MTV from when I was a kid And uh, but I just want to add to that before we get started that you are basically the ultimate guest for Dave because you represent all his lost hopes and dreams of what he wanted to do with his life well, I'm just glad that you guys thought about having me on. And Dave, it sounds like you're doing something great here. I know that people have heard really great things about the podcast. Right on. Awesome. Where, have you, where have you heard good things? That's crazy. <laughs> well, crazy. you know, from my from guys like Bob Forrest and a bunch of other people. That's beautiful. That, That's beautiful. That's you beautiful. Know. We love that. Um, and we just like to have fun with recovery and, and sobriety and talk about the dumbest shit we did. And, and kind of it's supposed to be like Regis and Kathy Lee for Dope Fiends. Like, we sit around, yeah. we talk about restaurants, we talk about AA, methadone, Suboxone, you name it. Yeah. That's yeah, what we try exactly. to do. Um, and I've been listening to your book, Hardcore, and, and what a joy it is to hear your book. Um, Thank you for that. I'm really glad that, you know, I saw somebody had posted um, that they didn't even know that I had a book out. And, yeah, you know, I'm really glad that people are still finding the book. It came out a year ago. It's all these things that I've done. And, um, you know, it's... I named it after the killer song, obviously, because of the, the stories in the book. But, um, yeah, I, I, I was grateful to get the opportunity to write that book. And, you know, I, I really hope that some of your listeners will check it out because they'll relate to, A, the addiction and alcoholism recovery side of things, but also the, uh, you know, the love of music without a question. It's just, you know, that you know, that all of us have and have deeply. You know, in fact, I just, I, I came to my music room this morning. It's Bowie's birthday. So I started, I pulled out this Bowie box set that I have that I bought from a guy, believe it or not. The thing, I think it goes for like $700 now online. And I bought it, the guy, I saw a guy walking with an amoeba bag out the balcony of my apartment here in Hollywood. And I yelled, hey, are you selling records? And he goes, yeah. I go, can I look at them? And I bought the Bowie box for like $100. It's worth now around $700. Crazy. So Which I, one is it? It's the five years, the very first one, 69 to 73. So it's, you know, it's everything from Space Oddity through pinups and uh, all those great Bowie albums like Ziggy and Latin Scene, Hunky Dory. So I made sure that I pulled that out and played that in uh, tribute to David uh, this morning. And there's that chapter in the book too about david which is great yes uh, was, I, that was surreal for me you know to actually get to, to work on the dl there with david and become friendly with him which was just so cool um and he was a great proponent of recovery he had the serenity prayer tattooed on his chest who david bowie yeah no way so tell us yeah. tell us tell us about uh about david bowie david bowie uh 
time with David Bowie. We want to hear about that. Well, well, David Bowie for me was, you know, this guy that I loved from the time I was a kid when you couldn't really, you know, it was obviously many years before the Internet. But even then, it was so hard to find. You know, you had to go to New York City if you wanted to find, you know, go deeper on songs. And I've been such a fan since I discovered him. Uh, as a kid in the early 70s that I just, um, you know, it was one of those things that I kind of carried throughout my life. And when I went to work in MTV uh, and became part of the music department, which was, you know, one of the 10 people that were, you know, picking the music and programming specials and things. One of the first uh, dinners that we had was with David and they ended up putting, they knew I was such a David fan and I went up and met him and introduced myself and just said, you know, I want to tell you how much your music's always meant to me and you and they, they decided as at this big dinner they're having at the Bowery Bar in New York City um, in the back room, they decide that they're going to put me right in front of David and Iman <laughs> right? <laughs> which of course, I was still drinking at the time, so, you know, I was pounding Jack and Cokes because I was a bit nervous. I knew it was either going to go terribly right or terribly wrong, um, and all the bosses from MTV were sitting at the table, too, so here I am. I'm pretty new to the company, and I ended up sitting there, and we ended up just really kind of locking minds and I had all these questions that I had always wanted to know about, all these things I always wanted to ask David. And um, so that night uh, was was pretty incredible. And I ended up, at the end of the conversation, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, sorry about that. It's a little it's a little damp out here today, so it's hitting my throat early in the morning. But um, it, what ended up happening was by the end of the dinner, he was, we were, had, had such an incredible conversation. He goes, look, I want to tell you that I'm, it's not out in the news yet, but I'm going on tour with Nine Inch Nails. And would you consider giving me some ideas for songs for my set list that are no not way. singles? That's crazy. Yeah. So what did you, what did you tell him to play? I told him to play Moon Age Daydream because the Pumpkins have been covering it recently. Obviously, Man Who Sold the World, Nirvana had done, um, right. you know, Andy Warhol because STP had done it. Um, I, I kind of went through all that, all the stuff that current artists were doing of his because I thought that that was a good angle. And he ended up doing all those songs. It's unbelievable. Even the other stuff that I suggested. And he, he asked me, he gave me his phone number and then he asked me, um, to get this list to him, I said, "Well, can I fax it to your to your late to your uh, management?" And I did. I, it was a fax the next day. And believe it or not, my friend, uh, I was pretty drunk, so my friend uh, Stephen Hill, I guess he now runs BET. He was like, "I knew you were hammered, so I have." to get the number out of your hand because I figured you'd have to lose it. <laughs> he wanted to keep it safe for you. <laughs> he kept it safe for me, Bowie's number. And, that's so and that was a sort, sort of a great relationship with Bowie. And we, you know, became friendly and I would he'd invite me to shows and I'd go see him play and he'd, the strangest thing in the world was having Bowie come up to the after show and go, so how was the show? How did it, so so how, was, how was it tonight? Was it good? I'm like fucking taking it myself. <laughs> it's from, that's crazy. It's crazy because like this, I mean, I listen to you talk about music and uh, and I really connect to who you are and, and what the music means to you. And to have David Bowie, who's like seminal genius, you know, almost beyond human in his performance and his his whole his songwriting and everything, to be insecure to ask you how he sounds, <laughs> that must have been so crazy. Yeah, it was surreal for me. It was incredible after he was coming off stage at Radio City Music Hall. And then, um, 
you know, there were, there were other times. So we had kind of, we had been connecting, you know, through email, but I hadn't seen him in a while. And I got a call from Tony Visconti, um, his, you know, one of his producers, one of his, you know, who produced actually Black Star, the last album and worked on a lot of great Bowie records over the years, been a confidant with David's. And he, um, had basically said to me, um, Hey, look, you're doing A&R Columbia records now. I'd, been working for Jimmy Iovine. There's a little clip in the Defiant Ones of me and Dre and Eminem on stage on that TV show I did, Farm Club, and there's a chapter about it in the book. But we, um, you know, I moved back to New York City uh, from LA, and, you know, this is the early 2000s, and 9 11 happened. So it was shortly after 9 11. I just happened to be literally two blocks from 9 11. I moved there on September 1st. So talk about being oh my God. <laughs> it's just crazy. We evacuated with my, my daughter, who's now 17. She was a year and a half. And uh, um, it was unbelievable. Just, you know, getting her out of there was, was incredible. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I had, to get, I had to get methadone during 9 11. <laughs> I had to walk down 8th Avenue during 9 11 to get methadone on 13th Street. Insanity. <laughs> yeah, well, let me tell you something. I'm glad I wasn't in some kind of uh, cocaine haze or. Uh, or so drunk that I couldn't take care of my family because luckily, you know, I was in a good position at the moment, you know what I mean? And it was really important that I was there to take care of everybody um, and get them out of there, which is what I did. You know, I was one of only two people displaced uh, from Sony, actually, that lived that far, you know, down in the city and uh, never was able to move back there, was able to get the stuff out like a month and a half later. But how it relates to Bowie is... You know, I get a phone call from Tony Visconti saying, hey, look, I've got this new artist, Christine Young, um, and I'd like you to come see her. She's going to play CBGB's gallery. So I'm like, all right, well, it's Tony Visconti, obviously, who I admire so much for all the work he did with, you know, Bowie, T-Rex, mm-hmm. um, you know, Thin Lizzy, um, you know, obviously Morrissey years later and so many other artists. And I go down to the CB's gallery and I'm sitting there and I, there's a tap on my shoulder and it's David Bowie and Bowie goes so Matt what do you think about this whole thing with Nancy and Ken Berry and that was when there was a big scandal at EMI and Nancy and Ken um, were actually I'm send out a call a voicemail were actually asked to um, you know they were asked to leave because there was this crazy whole situation that went down well Bowie had a key man clause where he, if they left the label, he was a free agent. So he asked me what I thought of it. And this is the crazy thing. I mean, you can imagine. Um, he goes, what are you doing later? And all I was thinking about was going back to my wife and my baby up in Midtown where we had a relocation apartment on 8th and 50th Street after the showcase. And I go, well, I was just going to go home. He goes, well, come have dinner with me. <laughs> wow. So... Bowie says, come up there with me. Next thing you know, I'm in the back of a town car that actually has the license plate Bowie 1, which must have been this guy who drives him around. We end up meeting at this uh, place in Little Italy, this tiny restaurant. We go into the back courtyard, okay? Um, it's, you know, this is about a month and a half after. So it's still October. It's still not too cold yet. So you're still eating outside in New York City. And, um, we go in the back, and it's myself, it's Christine Young, the artist, Tony Visconti, Bowie's old assistant, Coco, who lived, worked with him for years, I think from Aladdin Sane on. And um, and all of us are just sitting there, and, you know, David's like, Matt, I insist you got to tell me about your 9-11 stories. And we just sit there and talk, and, 
we talk about how Tony Visconti used to go in. When you hear those great, like, string things over all the T-Rex songs, when you hear those string arrangements, right. that was literally Mark would go in and play the songs, Mark Boland. Mm-hmm. And Tony would go in when he left the studio and and create all that, like all that really cool, like that stuff that sounds really good punchy and powerful over the t-rex records so we had this conversation and then um david says come down to the studio so i go to uh looking glass studios which is a studio that he um tony had a room at and bowie was uh recording there because it was philip glass's studio it was mm-hmm. not like around broadway in chinatown and we i go down there and david's sitting there and it's in this stuff's in the book but it's just such a great story he was in a good mood because Interpol, and I'm not talking about the band, I'm talking about <laughs> the, the organization, reached out to him. And, you know, people had stolen outfits from a Ziggy tour off stage, and he found out that uh, this stuff was on sale through eBay in Portugal, and he wanted it back. So Interpol had gotten his stuff back for him, and he was like, look, this stuff belongs to me. I want it back, you know? <laughs> and... um so we sat there, we're having a conversation, and then we listened to the original version of that album, The Heathen. And, um, you know, as, as it goes on in the book, I end up, you know, David reaches out to me again and goes, hey, can you come over? I really want to play the record for you and get some ideas from you again. And uh, the rest of the story's in the book, but it's another one of those situations where I've got David Bowie sitting across on a couch from me, and he's... He plays me the album again in its original form, and then Coco, his assistant, who's taking notes from some of the things I'm saying, um, <laughs> is uh, goes, David, play those other five songs for Matt right now. And he goes, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't think they're done. And, and he was embarrassed oh. to play you his songs in those moments. Yeah, five songs that he had. He didn't want to. He wasn't ready to play them. She goes, No, you got to play them for Matt. And I look at David and I go, David, you got to play them for me. <laughs> <laughs> So he plays me these songs, and he's and I hear this cover of the Neil Young "Waiting for You" song from Neil's first album. Yeah, and um, I go, David, this is phenomenal. You got to put it on the album. So he starts to second guess himself. So he literally stands up, lights a cigarette, and he's walking in and out of you know the patio, uh, you know, outside smoking a cigarette, coming back and forth. He's pacing actually, and he and he goes, "What about this one?" And it was "Slow Burn." I'm like. And he actually got the Grammy for that. And, and I go, you got to put this on the album. This song is great. Matt, when he played you the song, would he play it off a disc or would he play it on guitar or piano? What was it? No, he was playing it off a disc. These okay. were things that were like, you know, that were tracks, that were extra tracks that were recorded during the Heathen Sessions. And then he played, you know, he played me five songs. Third one was um, Everybody Says Hi. I also said that. And, he, and, and at this point... He's getting a little, little bit like he's trying to figure out. All right, wow, this is amazing. These three songs, I got, I got to rethink this. So when we get to the fourth song, he's still pacing back and forth with a cigarette going in and out, and uh, and then he looks at me and goes, well, "What about this one?" And I go, "B side soundtrack." And he goes like this. He goes, like <laughs> he wipes his, you know, his hand across his head, like. <laughs> You know, like he, he, he you know, because that's that was where what he thought about. Yeah. It. So, so he knew he wasn't crushed. He he thought this was a, a B side or a soundtrack song. Yeah, the, the fourth song. So and the fifth. No, and you know, it took a, it takes a lot of balls to say that to you, one of your heroes. Yeah. You know, this song. This song is a. But he was glad I said that. I think you know he he, he trusted me enough to know that I wasn't going to completely 
you know, kiss his ass in a sense that I was going to tell him that every single thing was great. He wanted ideas, you know, and so that was a pretty incredible afternoon for me. And I'm sitting there, you know, and David at the end of it, you know, tells me, look, I know you're friends with Scott Weiland. Look, tell him if he wants to call me and he ever wants to talk about recovery or he wants somebody to lean on, have him call me. Which was really pretty amazing as I left that day and I went down the spiral staircase and I, and I left Bowie's place. I, um, you know, I'll always remember that, you know, and I'll, just like I'll remember the last time I saw Scott Weiland alive, you know, and. He hadn't, he hadn't called Bowie for help, right? He never asked Bowie for anything. Well, we had not run into each other in a while. Um, but he worshiped David. He loved David. And when I finally got to tell him later, he had been doing good for a while. But when I finally got to say, look, Bowie has said to me, it was a couple years back, but he has said to me, you know, um, that you should reach out to him. Um, Scott was so excited, but he was also in the in the depths. You know what I mean? Mm. He was in the grips of the addiction, um, and that's the hardest thing to do when you're in the grips is to is to give it up or make a phone call or ask for help. Yeah, yeah it is. It I, is. It really is. You know. When I was listening, because I, I I had to listen to your book because I couldn't get a copy of it fast enough, and I had a credit on Audible, so whatever. I listened to it. Number one, I was upset that it wasn't your voice. <laughs> Who's this Mark Chamberlain? Should be you. <laughs> Chamberlain does a lot of James Patterson books. I'll explain to you why. Um, I started with the intention of doing it, but so much was going on in my life at the time. I just moved to San Francisco. I was new there. I was doing a morning show. I was doing two syndicated radio shows it was there was so much happening at once that i basically you know looked and you know i, I had there was something that i had to look, give up at the moment and that was doing a voice on that and i wanted to i did a few chapters but i was also getting a little sick at the time because right. I, like i said i had moved and it wasn't sounding the same as the other chapters right. i'm like you know I'm going to call them and see if they'll hire somebody else to do it. So they had this guy who's like James Patterson books. And um, I thought he did a great job. I mean, I, I would have loved to have done it. You know, the book, like I said, it's available since it's hardcover and it's no Kindle, Audible, and um, books on CD. No, I, I loved it. And I love to hear that chapter uh, about you and Oasis, when Oasis came to New Jersey and you had to cop them blow with the groupies. Oh, yeah. Did you yeah, want – could you, could you tell a little bit about that story? That's a classic oh, dopey yeah. story, I think. Oh, yeah, that's a great dopey story. Yeah, you know, it's really funny because I'm sitting there with some of my old party buddies from the Jersey Shore. You know, the deal was I had already gone to work in MTV, and um, but I was play, I'd played Supersonic in the nightclubs that I'd, which is, you know, where my story starts with drugs and alcohol, uh, big time in the nightclub scene, you know, in Jersey when I was a DJ at this place called Melody. But, um you know, it's a stone pony at Asbury Park. Now, the booking agent, before I leave and go to new, you know, to work at MTV, calls me and goes, should I book this band Oasis? And I said, yeah, man, their first single's phenomenal, supersonic. I go, I love these guys. He goes, you think they'll sell it out? I'm like, and I'm, of course, being just totally optimistic. I have no idea, but I just say, yeah, I think they'll sell it out. <laughs> sure, why not? You know what I mean? So, he... He goes, I go, but here's the thing. If I sell it out, if they sell it out, can I do my usual thing where I come down and I host and you pay me the hosting fee? And, uh, cause I figured there you go. I could actually get paid to be there and see the show, which I would have come down for anyway to the Jersey Shore from, uh, New York, you know, and, um, we get down there and, uh, 
I'm hosting the show and hanging out, talking to the guys in Oasis, and they're looking for Charlie, which, of course, anybody who knows cocaine knows that Charlie in England, that's the uh, well, that's the slang word for cocaine. And it was unbelievable because it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll get it. And I get my friend to come up who sells eight balls to uh, the guys. And uh, <laughs> no, Liam, look at him and go, um, he goes, well, I got like three eight balls. They go, we'll take them all. Right. <laughs> they just literally bought all of them. Yeah. But they had the girls that they were with pay for the blow. Love that. So basically the groupie girls were paying for the blow. And, you know, it was like one of those things where those guys probably fucked them that night. And, um, and yeah, you can get us high and we're going to fuck you. That's <laughs> yeah, the deal. Exactly, which is what I say in the book. Yeah. It's really true. It yeah. was unbelievable. Back into the tour bus. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a big Oasis fan. So, and those guys are both, you know, they're both doing really well. I'm no sober now. And, uh, Liam, from what I understand is he certainly has done some good uh, solo shows recently but um, no, Liam's changed so much anyway he used to be so out, out of control and now he's like a gentleman and you know he's actually said to me don't get upset about that and I'm like what the well he's had to learn from, he's had to learn from really <laughs> hard mistakes man this guy fucked I mean they had the world in the, the palm of their hand he could have been exactly the Beatles he, I mean he, he could have had it and he just shit on it it was amazing to watch like that's addiction right like, to not play MTV Unplugged, to sit there and heckle the band. What a crazy fucking thing. Uh, people were pissed. They were, you know, like, obviously MTV staff was pissed. And, you know, it was a, it was a debacle for the people at Epic Records. And, uh, yeah, you're just a misbehaving. Um, Did you get high with them? Um, I got drunk with them. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I definitely got drunk with them. You know, I mean, I got high with a lot of people. <laughs> well, you know... There's that famous line. It's actually in my book, but it's also in that uh, Louder in Hell oral history of metal where um, I go with Marilyn Manson, comes up to me at a Radiohead show for the bands, him and Twiggy, and goes, hey, we got some coke, let's go do it. And, of course, I really pretty much had free reign going to clubs um, in New York City at the time. And so we go down, and there's this, like, labyrinth-hidden office under Roseland. I mean, Roseland was there since Prohibition, so there was this incredible office that everybody got high and drank, drank in, you know, but you had to kind of go under it and walk through all these passages to get to this office. So I brought them down to this office, and I'll just remember that um, uh, Marilyn poured out some Coke, and then I poured out a massive amount. <laughs> and he, goes, he goes, Pinfield, you scare us. That was the line that was was pretty crazy. Yeah, you know, I mean, I certainly got into cocaine uh, in my club years because I was like, you know, hey, first of all, it was the 80s. So remember, they used to say it's not addicting. So and I believe them. And um, they, they were, it was one of those things where people would come and, you know, I, I first of all, I love DJing in clubs because hey, I can control the music. And I built, built up a, a pretty big following in Jersey there. And. A, your, all your alcohol was free, and people would bring you drugs. You know, they turn you on to drugs to hear songs and things like that. They cut you out of lines, and um, you know, uh, that's where it all started for me. I was like, oh, this shit keeps me awake. Okay, wow, this is good. You know, I can spin till three in the morning, and I'm still wide awake. And I, you know, and of course, that turned into full blown addiction for me, and um, you know, uh, and alcoholism, which both. 
you know, are, are part of my life. And uh, what, Matt? How did you end up um, getting sober? What was the what was the turning point? Well, for me, getting sober was it was really effect. It was like I'd already given up the drugs. I I quit the drugs two years earlier, like. Because I would still, rec- well, recreational is just not the right word. Who am I bullshitting? Um, <laughs> you know, I'd occasionally get get high. But in a couple of years earlier. Was it always just, Coke or was it weed or pills or what, what were you doing? Uh, it was Coke. It was speed if it was around, but it wasn't really that prevalent. Um, except for in part of the 2000s um, in uh, New York City. I mean, we're, we're crystal meth and we're a speeder really big on the West Coast and have always been, or even in, you know, the mountains of Pennsylvania. Um, it was not that prevalent in New York City. And then it became in part of the gay scene there. Right. So you could buy it um, and... You know, you, you could find it, you know. I'd, I'd go to this guy's apartment and he have a tackle box and it was full of every drug imaginable, yeah. you know what I mean? This guy at 18th Street and 9th, which eventually got busted, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, I, uh, for me, what happened was once I stopped um, doing drugs, alcohol slowly became more and more my crutch and I was, you know, drinking regularly. I don't drink, you know, my reality is I don't do anything halfway and I never have, you know, yeah. I put my all into everything I do and I was just a mad, you know, I was an intense drinker. I would drink massively. Um, and eventually it not only does it get in the way of getting work done, but it gets in the way of, it starts to affect your health. And for me, it really started to affect my health. I mean, I was, my health was deteriorating uh, due to the alcohol consumption, and I just said, you know, fuck this, I don't want to die, you know? Yeah. So I quit drinking, and, um, you know, and I'm sober, and I'm clean, and I, I love it. I mean, I life is so much better. It's so much better to not have to wonder if you're going to crash and burn, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's you- life on life's terms, you know, and it's, you just... Uh, some days are better than other days for like in everybody's life, but I'm really grateful to be sober. You know, I really am. Were you able to just stop or what did your trajectory look like when you decided, you know, no, this guy's been to treatment like four times. (laughs) You act like you just stopped in the end. Give me a break, man. Come on. Oh yeah. I've been treatment many times. I mean, I, yeah, I didn't just stop. I could not do that. I'm never saying that I, I needed, I reached out for help, you know, and Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew were very helpful uh, to me and uh, and a bunch of other friends. You know, that's the reason I live in L.A. now and Hollywood is where I actually live. Uh, like, But I live here because there are so many great meetings and recovery here. I found that I like there's like me, multiple meetings every day and I go to a meeting every day. Yeah. Uh, I just I love the recovery out here. And don't get me wrong. There was some good recovery in San Francisco, good recovery in New York. I mean, it really is what you make of it, but it's re it's incredible just how, um, people have reached out and helped out with me here. And I absolutely love it. So it just feels like the place for me to stay. Matt, did you meet, uh, Drew and Bob Forrest at Las Encinas? Um, I've met Drew and Bob. I met, here's the crazy thing is I met Drew way before that because I was Drew's first ever guest on his uh, internet radio show no shit yeah so drew had me as his first ever guest so we knew each other from those days when i started farm club 
Bob and I knew each other back in the Thelonious Monster days. Right. We had uh, definitely oh, yeah. connected and partied and got fucked up in New York City. He was, was he a, he was probably a roadie on, in that story where Anthony and Hillel were in Jersey with you. He was probably on that tour, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was uh, crazy times, man. I just look at it like, but you know, I'm, I'm, those guys have been really helpful. I reached out to Bob. I said, Bob, I fucking, I gotta, I gotta do this, man. I can't, I can't drink anymore. It's killing me. And, uh. Did he say, I, listen to Dopey? What did he say? <laughs> <laughs> well, he told me about Dopey shortly after that and said, this, you'd relate to this. You'd like these, really like these guys, you know, <laughs> which is cool. Um, yeah, Bob was just really helpful, man. And, um, and it's important for me to, you know, I'm just, Stayed on this trajectory, as you mentioned, uh, at this point, because yeah, I just felt like if I didn't get get, get uh, like put a uh, you know a, a, something a block between my drinking, I you know I detoxed and then uh, you know and then and took it from there, which was good. It was it was great to, to be able to detox and get the alcohol out of my system. But I mean, it's scary, man. I mean, you know, I've got issues, you know, with my heart, and, and that shit just will definitely alcohol will take you down even if it's a slow kill it'll take you down is it hard to be around all the musicians and and like the rock and roll and all that stuff with the with the alcohol and the drugs because you i I heard this story when because this guy matt pinfield he's interviewed the rolling stones paul mccartney he's interviewing paul mccartney and paul mccartney's like let's head down to the pub (laughs) but you were probably were you drinking then or were you sober then um, I was probably drinking at that period of time. So that, I mean, is, um, what if Paul invited you to the pub now? What would you say? I'd go and I have a seltzer or something. And, right on. You know, I just, I just explain to him that I'm sober. Um, I would, I mean, I have, I do that with everybody now. I mean, I, I don't sit there and make him have to go into the year long explanations, but people respect my sobriety, which is good. And if they don't, I don't really give a shit because I don't <laughs> need to do what's best to stay alive. And to stay productive and do the things that I love to do. I mean, music is my first love. My daughters, you know what I mean? I, I just, uh, I got a lot of reasons to be around, you know, and I just, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm always around people. I have to explain to people now, too, sometimes I go, look, it's okay to invite me to like a place where a lot of people are drinking. Because I go out to shows. Sure. Honestly, two to four nights a week, I'm out seeing bands and seeing artists. I'm, I'm still really active. I mean, completely active. So, you in know, music. I other po- yeah. I mean, I have the podcast at two hours of Matt Pinto. It's not two hours long, but it's based on a radio show I have called in 21 cities. It's on Monday through Friday night for two hours. You know, we couldn't get the name 120 minutes, so <laughs> we weren't allowed to use it. So, but anyway, uh, and that goes from everywhere from Chicago to like Buffalo. But then the, the podcast I have is you know out there too i'd love people to check it out it's called two hours of mattpinfield.com i guess you can go to or two hours mattpinfield.com but so i interview artists all the time and i go to see shows constantly and you know i'm never going to stop wanting to see live music i love live music and i like to go out with people and i have to explain to people on a pretty regular basis don't feel strange about drinking in front of me i don't care right yeah it's an inside job man you yeah. know it's it's me i don't i just know i can't drink and, and if i do drink the outcome will not be positive it'll be it'll be a disaster so i just don't drink 
Um, I actually I feel more uncomfortable if somebody changes their patterns due to my addiction. You know what I mean? If somebody doesn't so drink, do I. yeah, I'm, yeah. W- I'm with you. That's yeah. the thing. I, I tell people, please don't alter your behavior for me. Yeah, I go. I certainly didn't do it for others. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you I have people that were sober, and you're like, ah, it's all right. You know, they're, they're fine. I just need to share this with you. When I was a kid, right? When I was in high school, I got an internship at MTV in 1991. I wound up like turning it into an on-air correspondent job, right? And I was like, I would like hang out with Kurt Loder and Alex Coletti and fucking Doug Herzog and all these people back then. And, um, and then I wound up getting another show on Broadway Video where I became this... It was a music show that didn't do anything, and I interviewed, like, Bob Weir and the Flaming Lips and KRS-One and a million people, like, tons of people who I loved. And I'd watch you, and I'd be like, look at this fucking Matt Pinfield. This guy's got it fucking together. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm starting to snort heroin and take pills. And by the time I'm 23, my whole music journalism career is ruined. And I'm watching you on every fucking thing. And I'm like, look at this fucking Matt Pinfield. So, so to find out that you had a problem with addiction, now as I do my addiction podcast, yeah. it's incredibly satisfying. And I just need yeah. you to know that. Well, that's okay, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, none, none of us get out unscathed. Right. And, uh, you know, I was part of doing, I was, you know, uh, drinking and snorting lines um, way before I ever went to work at MTV. Like I said, I was already spinning in nightclubs from the time I was 18. So I, you know, I started partying at a very young age. And uh, again, it works, you know, it's like they always say, you know, it works for you for a while and then it doesn't work. And that's really what it came down to for me. Yeah. What about you? What about me? <laughs> yeah, like, like I mean, was it how? So when did you stop? How, how long were you? Dude, you, I stopped so many times. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I've been clean now two and a half years, and um, I have a eight, a seven year old daughter who's going to be eight next month. And I had gotten off heroin seven years ago, but I kept smoking weed and taking the occasional pill. And I was just like, I just had to be done with it. I had to yeah. give up because I was an obsessive person. I had to give up the, the voice in my head more than I had to give up the substance. You know, yeah. like, like I would I would spin and spin and spin on different ideas and it would make me crazy. And I would like, I need to smoke pot or I need to take pills. And I, I just needed to... Uh, turn it over and uh, give myself a fucking break and try to make the next 40 years of my life livable if I could. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good that you did. And I mean, I, I, I consider myself in the same way. I mean, I just, I have these two daughters that I love so much and I kind of, it's just, and, but it is, it is the, your head, your head, we, you know, we get lost in our own heads and to know, you know, just, I, I know I was the same way where I'm just, I'm always thinking about things. My wheels are always turning. Which is why a meeting is so important to me on a daily basis. I go to AA. It's really, it, it really helps quiet the voice, you know. Right. The you know, um, and I, I love, I love it, man. I love, I love right now that I, that I, you know, I haven't destroyed everything in my life, and that I've got had some really incredible experiences, and I'm still going. You know, I have two syndicated radio shows and a book that came out and um you know so i just keep working hard you know and it's so cool I, I love i love all that i love your story and um i i once waited on clive davis and he i saw he wrote the thing on your book on the front 
Yeah, that was nice of Clive. Yeah, yeah and uh, and I told Clive my whole story, and I and I told him I write songs and this and that, and he's like, he's like, send me your song. He says to me, and he gives me his card. I like really schmoozed him up, you know, and. Yeah. Um, so I send him Good So Bad, the song I sent you last night, and he writes me this email, and he says, I think Good So Bad is not really a hit. I think it's more of a deep album cut. So I wanted to see what you thought of the song. I enjoyed the song. I thought it was cool. I didn't know that was actually you performing it. I figured that it was one of you guys, and yeah, I liked the song. I thought it was cool. Hey, how many times have I felt that way, so... He, Matt, he just played that in the middle of an episode, and we recorded that on uh, my MacBook Pro with no microphone. That's just the speakers on the MacBook yeah, Pro. You couldn't tell the production is, is very, very stripped. Yeah, yeah but I like that. Yeah. I mean, I, hey, listen, I did A&R for, what, six years, so, I mean, I've always been able to hear through rough, I mean, you know, through rough, through rough tapes. It's not really rough, though. I mean, it sounds good. Mm. It sounds good to me. People love it. Like, it we got a YouTube video of a homeless girl covering it on the street while getting money. <laughs> she also got a tattoo of the Dopey logo on her yeah. ankle. So we're on to big things, man. It's a good thing you caught the Dopey train early. Congratulations. Did you guys pay for that tattoo? Shush. Yes, we paid. Yes, we did. How did you know? Did you know the girl? No, I didn't know her, but... Yeah. Maybe in a past life. So, we, we put an offer out there, and she took us up on it. And now we have other people offering, but we, we're not paying anymore. Yeah, we're done paying. <laughs> Some dude in Australia was like, can you send me money for a dopey tattoo? I'm like, a heroin addict. Up front, yeah. Yeah, can you just send some cash, please? Because we want to yeah. get a tattoo. <laughs> that is incredible. It's yeah. classic. So, that's cool. So what do you guys think? It's, uh, I mean... I just love that you guys had decided to have me on, and I hope that you enjoyed the book, Dave. I thought, I hope you thought it was cool, dude. I can't. I came into Chris's house like we're in the Hamptons in Chris's parents' posh house, yeah. and I came in bursting with joy because I have the same feeling about music that you do. Like I remember when I was in college. And I would listen to music and I would say to people, I mean, I was a dumb kid. I would say to people, I believe in rock and roll. And, and what I meant by it is what you say in the book. Just it, it gets into your DNA, every note, every sound, every song. And it's, it's part of who you are and it's part of the way you deal with the world. And it's like I love the way you – the enthusiasm that you talk about music. It's just uh, – it's incredibly. It, it touches my heart, you know. And it sounds cheesy to say that, but it's like it's cool. I love. I also just this fucking dude. He fucking went to Dublin to interview you too. He he's just been. He's he's a part of this whole story. And you're also very lucky that you came up in such a cool time in in the '90s where we had that you know alternative to mainstream music where the music was really interesting and the art was really interesting. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, what a I'm time. I'm very, very blessed. I'm lucky. I consider myself fortunate, I mean, in every way. I mean, you know, I pinch myself still. And, you know, music, it's like I get up every morning and I go into my music room and put on put on vinyl every day. And I just, before, before I even walk the door, just when I'm getting up, I, I, I music has always been, and I'm sure it's the same for you, Dave, it's the thing that you have to have around you all the time. And I know that without the music, I don't know that I would be alive. I don't know that I would be sober. I, I you know, I was never one of those guys that said, oh, well, I can't listen to music because it makes me feel like I got to get high. Oh, I mean, right. It's the opposite. Music gets you high. It's like, I, I'm yeah. so funny. I play, I play with my daughter 
and like we build Lego sets and I'm like yeah. falling asleep and I'm like, Nora, can we put on some music while we do this? And then all of a sudden we're just <laughs> going, you know, she loves yeah. funky town. That's my, my daughter's track. Yeah. That's great. She's That's like, so what cool. are they talking about, Daddy? Is that New York City, funky town? <laughs> I was like, damn straight. That's great. That's, yeah. so, that's beautiful. I, you know what I also I also wonder about is like you don't you don't you're you know you're mostly alternative rock and roll, but what a time in that period for uh, reggae dancehall and hip hop. Like people don't realize what a moment that the dancehall scene was in the eighties and the early nineties. Like. That music is like a, a crazy, crazy, powerful, authentic thing, and nobody, nobody cares. Why does anybody care about that, Matt? I care. I think they will again. It's one of those things where somebody will have to come out and sample, and or or use one of those songs or redo one of those songs. I. It, it's funny you said that because I literally was just having a conversation with a friend who said how much he loved all that dancehall stuff and how much it meant to him. And, you know, well, it's insane that Supercat, Tenor Saw, all that, uh, even uh, Buju Banton, Shabarangs, those records, like they yeah. don't sound, they sound like perfect. Yeah. Like it's I a do. whole. I love them. It's a, and, and the hip hop back then also. I mean, Kendrick Lamar, I heard you talk about him and he does some cool stuff. But I feel like because the spectrum now is so broad, you know, alternative music, hip hop back then, it came out like squeezed through a, a tube of toothpaste. And that's what made it so special and now everything is so big it's like we need somebody to feel oppressed by pop music to put out something special again <laughs> i feel yeah i wish that would happen it would be great i mean really something that would matter i mean I, and i love the de la soul and the tribe called yes yeah. and all that stuff from that era i really do i just those records are incredible you know and yeah that was an incredible time for both hip-hop and for dancehall do you think? Stuff. Do you think with hip hop, it's because the sampling laws got changed? Like that De La Soul record and all those those records, the sampling made the records incredibly dynamic, and it felt like you were hearing your own memories when you listened to them. And yeah, now I think, like- I think the sampling laws got changed, and hip hop artists don't put the same kind of amount of uh, samples into the production because they're not allowed to, or they have to pay more for it, or something. I don't know. Yeah, there's just you know it's. I think it also has a lot to do with people, um, you know, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think it has not only to do with that, but because it's so much easier for people to create tracks um, on the tracks now, um, it's become a, just a, another part of the culture that's different than when a lot of sampling went down. Right. But I mean, listen to Paul's Boutique and, you know, take Three Feet High Horizon and all those great records. Fucking the other day where I work, Mike D was there with his family. And I'm like, holy shit, it's Mike D. And I was the biggest nerd with him. I made such a fool of myself. I, like, got him a chair, and he's like, oh, you don't have to get me a chair. And I said, oh, your name is Mike D, and you get respect. And he looked at me like I was the biggest nerd he'd ever seen in his life. <laughs> yeah, he's totally cool, Mike, man. I'm sure you appreciated it. So yeah. where, where, where are you based out of? Uh, I live on Long Island, but I work in a... We're anonymous, so I'm going to say this with uh, quotation marks. I work in a very famous deli on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. So oh, that's cool. Which yeah. narrows it down to one place. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's where I met Bob Forrest, and, and that's where we got to meet you. So uh, Yeah, is that this? Yes, it totally is. This is the best. Yeah. <laughs> Bring a salami to your boy in the army. Exactly, you know? exactly. It's, it's supported my family for a good 10 years, so thank yeah. God. Yeah. 
I love that place. I just do. That's got you know, it's 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 one it's it it's a mainstay there and has been long before I ever even breathed. So that's great that you are. I love Kansas. And Chris and Chris is uh is is studying to become a uh, a psychologist. He's in a PhD psychology program and he's had he has the craziest drug stories you could ever hear. And he, he has an encyclopedic knowledge of drugs and recovery and bullshit. And uh, and we love making this show. You know, it's a lot of fun and it seems like it's uh, doing some good for somebody. So besides yeah. us, you know. Yeah. So which is nice. It's keeping us sober too. Before you go, we I have to I have to you know because I asked the Twitter fans and the Twitter fans have been very nice uh, to ask you any questions and Caroline Wilson had a question and you could just answer it however you want. Uh, does Matt have any good stories about hanging out uh, with out of control rock and roll users? And uh, we got the Oasis story. Is there any other crazy rock and roll drug story uh, you, you know, want to throw out? What's crazy is there's so many that I've forgotten some of them. You know, I remember. Um, <laughs> That, you know, uh, Duff was talking about me and him and Trent Reznor. Oh, I got a great one. I was, we were just, uh, one of my favorite Nice uh, Nail stories was, uh, you know, I went down to the dungeon and I'm there with uh, Dave Ogilvy from Skinny Puppy and um, and Trent. And uh, Trent, I'd like Trent to know I'm coming to town and we're, we're like, we're down at the place called the dungeon. And I just hear, fuck you, Pinfield. And I knew it was him just busting my balls, you know. So we end up, going around town and we couldn't find anything that day we couldn't find any coke we were looking for it and i was getting drunker and more drunk uh by the minute and drunker uh, and more drunk (laughs) that sounds just such terrible english by the way i love it i was becoming more drunk by the minute and uh we weren't finding anything to wake us up so we go up to a lucky dog stand and um you know they call them lucky dogs in new orleans and uh Trent warns me, he goes, Matt, I don't think you should order that hot dog. I go, come on, man, I'm so hungry. We, we were, you know, we're not finding anything. I go, he goes, I'm telling you, don't order that. He goes, don't have a lot. Lucky dog's no good. So I go and I, I order and I buy the lucky dog. It's covered in mustard. And I go to bite into it. And I'm so drunk that it actually goes down the center of my shirt. That makes like a line like in the middle of the street. Okay. So it goes all the way down to my to my crotch. And Trent just looks at me and goes, I told you that was an unlucky dog. There you go. <laughs> it was, you know. That's and then uh, the, I don't the last thing I remember is walking down the street with him. And then I found that he had put me in my... Uh, bed in my hotel room and just i was woke up passed out on the bed i mean there's many stories of partying with people there's a lot of, of ones that i can't i mean it would go on for for hours and i bore everybody or maybe i wouldn't bore them you, you know? wouldn't but we why don't we we can have you on again i can bug you again in a mm-hmm. few weeks and you can come on and tell some more stories if you don't mind no i'd be glad to i'd be glad to come on anytime awesome. I, mean, I think it's great what you guys are doing and um 
again, I'm grateful to be sober today, and uh, I'm gonna go, uh, you know, go to go work, and you know, I just always feel good that I'm I made it through this far, man, and I'm gonna keep on sticking with this and doing the meetings and doing what I need to do. But I'm grateful today, you know, that you guys had me on today. Thanks so much, and, I'm, and Dave, I'm glad that you liked the book. I love you know, the book. I, mean, I really did. I, I I didn't get to hear. I missed like a few chapters, which I'm gonna hear, listen to on my ride home. But uh, I loved the book, and it made me feel very connected to you and to the music of all that time. And I'm such a music crazy person that uh, I loved it. And I think anybody, because Chris has notoriously horrible taste in music, <laughs> but I think Chris could really benefit from from reading the book. All right, I'll check it out. And I think anybody in the Dopey Nation um, that are interested in the book, they should check it out. It's um, these things. What is it? These th- all these all things these I've things done. And it's yeah, insane, improbable rock life, yeah. and and it's yeah. and it's it's it was wonderful to read, and I wouldn't say, to listen to because I didn't read it. I have to be honest, but I have to say that um, I loved it, and I wouldn't say I loved it if I didn't. I'm, I'm notoriously critical, which I think is great. Um, so, and I appreciate that so much. You have no idea. And please, it was such a labor of love, just like every day of the gift of music is to me, and. You know, I, I was just grateful to be able to get that book out and to actually express the way I feel about how music is, encompasses everything in my life and how lucky I've been, you know, uh, and how blessed. So, well, we're lucky to have you on, and I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. And um, spread the gospel of Dopey to the to the people because nobody gives a shit about us. So we, no. if, if you tell them to give a shit, maybe they will. Oh, I will tell them. I will absolutely tell them. And uh, so, are you going to play your theme song? You want me to play it now? Are you going to play it at the end of the show? No, we play, oh, we play, play, we play it at the end of the show. Man. Come on. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it again on my phone. Please do. Right, and um, and we're making a record. We're making a little EP. Uh, and I'll send it to you when it's done. See what you think. I love that. Are you going to put it on vinyl? Maybe. If it's good enough, I'll put it on vinyl. If it <laughs> okay. sucks, I'll just make a CD. Yeah. That's good. Either way, please send it my way. That I will. Good. Dave, Chris, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, man. Right on, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was it was great this morning. Thank you. Have a Speak wonderful day. Soon. All right, right on. Later on. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Thank you. Cool, huh? That was great, dude. Yeah. It was a beautiful blend of uh, dopey recovery and rock and roll. You liked it. I did. Thank God. And it's hard for me to pay attention, you know. But you like, seemed like you were hanging deep in into, it. When you started getting into the hip-hop sampling, I was just like, what are you talking about? It was just a quick thing. <laughs> but, quick. but even the rock and roll shit, I mean, I know who Oasis is. I know who David Bowie is, you know. Like, I was entertained. That's great. Yeah. I'm so glad that, because I was worried that when it was over, you were going to give me the, the anger. No, thing. no, no. So, uh, I guess we're done, right? Where are we at? We're at 58. I'm starving. You want to play a song? I'm Dave starving. wants to get La Parmesan. I'm dying. Parmesan. For I have a question, by the way. Huh. With the ads, yeah. Did we not do ads that we were supposed to do? Ads? Or do we only have that we one ten one second ad? One this ten this second. Ad. Okay. So the ad we did in a few episodes ago, Dopey Nation, we got fifteen dollars, right? But we did it through this company where they take a cut, which is three dollars, right? So we get twelve dollars. But then our payout method is PayPal, so they take more of a cut. So we have ten dollars and fifty cents. That's not even for a sandwich at La Parmigiana. <laughs> that's like a half a sandwich in that place. Um, and again, do- that's gross. Remember? Okay. Before we go. I am going to um, play forever in debt. Play forever in debt. Come but on, first, forever in debt. I just want to say to the Dopey Nation, 
we're doing so. You guys are doing such a good job. We're ahead of share at the moment in reviews. So you want to? Oh, there it is. Finally, we've surpassed Omar. Who and up next, home. Home is next, but we need to get a little you bit past home share. Has? How many? Like six hundred and fifty. Yeah, you guys are gonna have to really bear down and get typing. <laughs> so many people on Twitter tell me. That they try to the leave Twitter's a very engaging. Right? Yeah. They're very engaging. And it's like not a many followers, right? Yeah. 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 Not that many followers. No. We have like 400 followers, but the, but like there's a solid 20 people, Kevin, Stephanie, whoever else that... Oh, Matt's calling back. Holy shit. Yes, Matt. What's going on? Hey, I just want to make sure that was okay for you guys. It was good. You're still on the We're air. still going. <laughs> We're still going right oh, now. Okay, sorry. sorry to interrupt you. Dude, you can call whenever you want about anything you want. You know what you just did, Matt, is you are David Bowie and Dave is Matt Pinfield. Yeah. Right now. I, there you yeah. go. <laughs> no, that meant the world to me, guys. Yeah. Seriously. Awesome. Um, and we'll do it again whenever you want. I just want to make sure everything was cool. For it was you. awesome. We just I, we were just talking Christmas about how great it was. Look, I, I, as they say in Yiddish, "Kvelling <laughs> over you." Matt, I'm the most I'm the most critical person. And um, Dave had this guy Sam Cutler on, and I was so lost. He knows I, who Sam Cutler is. I had no. Well, clue. Ask him if he knows who Sam. Do Cutler. you know who Sam Cutler is? Yeah, yeah. I, I had no fucking clue what they're talking about, and because, like Dave said, I have horrible taste in music, and my music <laughs> knowledge sucks. But that was super entertaining. Like, really, it was dopey. It had recovery, and it was a bunch of music stuff that I loved. It was awesome, dude. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Matt, do you want to stay on the line while I play a tune, real quick? You know, I gotta jump because I gotta jump in the shower. Yeah, go get, get ready. Go get ready. <laughs> You'll hear it when you hear the episode. <laughs> All right, sounds great, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, brother. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Later. What a sweet guy. What a sweet, sweet guy. Sweet, sweet guy. It's so funny, dude, because I actually, like, you said the name. I was like, that sounds a little familiar. And I looked him up, and I saw his picture. And I think I watched, he was on MTV2 more. And MTV2 was, like, more music, I feel like. Well, he was on 120 Minutes. He was I, he was just, I feel like every time I turned MTV on when I was a kid, it was always that guy. And he's he's so probably the only person I knew from... And I wasn't like a big MTV guy. <sighs> I was. I yeah. like I like camped out in front of the TV and, and, and MTV was just... I just... I watched MTV like until my eyes fell out of my head. Yeah. But now I, I wanted to talk to him about that. There's no fucking videos. I mean, I don't know what the hell's going on. I no, guess I'm MTV old. 1 is just like... There's no videos anymore. There's just pregnant... Uh, yeah, but it's, it's been like that for like a decade. Teen moms and... But like that old over a decade, right? I remember I used to race home when I was 13 years old. I was working construction in uh, Long Island in Fort Jeff. 13? Yeah. What I was, were you living, doing I was living with my uncle working. He's, he's a contractor. And 13? It was my first job, yeah. 13? And I spent the summer. What yep. were you doing? Just like breaking up driveways and shit. <clears throat> 13, um, huh? But I used to rush home, right, from work because uh, MTV's Top 10 Countdown was on. And I always wanted to hear Ghetto Superstar and intergalactic and when i when <coughs> what is ghetto superstar is like the fujis that, it was in the uh, who the fuck was it um it was in the bullworth soundtrack i don't know why i'm remembering that which was this lauren movie. hill no it's not lauren hill it's uh that guy with the raspy voice i'm drawing a total blank right now tip of the tongue coolio not coolio It'll come to me in a second. Anyways, I'd race home from our jobs because they were like it, they started later in the top ten countdown. They kept on going earlier and earlier, you know. Intergalactic and Ghetto Superstar, and they're always next to each other. And eventually, it got so early in like the hour that I couldn't make it back in time to hear it. 
That's, a, that's an amazing story. It's a great story, right? Yeah. You like that? Yeah, I love it. There's my, there's my little music bomb for you. Before we go, I just want to say... Really? Did you like the story? No, I didn't. <laughs> I like that you worked when you were 13. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Quick. Should I do one or many reviews of the week? Just do one. From Dub Steph in um, wherever she is. I think she's in Arizona. She has questions that we're going to ask in the next episode. And she has a voicemail that we've not played. She's a great Twitter follower. Okay. She wrote, look... This is not your normal podcast. It's about drug life. It's not fake news. It's not out for money, which we would like one day. It's not structured, and it's absolutely amazing. You're going to hear real people speaking, not someone trying to develop an image, which is truly one of a kind. Chris and Dave care so much about their listeners, and they are just trying to share the war stories and maybe reach out, uh, maybe reach anyone they can in a positive light, no matter what. Maybe. I will always suggest Dopey. Chris is amazingly smart, and so is Dave. With Dave's sarcastic, humble attitude, they make a great duo. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. There you go. All right, you want me to play Forever in Debt before In it's one second. Remember this? It's Cross. I don't even know who that is, but Old Dirty Bastard. Old Dirty Bastard was on it. He was in the food. That's that's get it. That's uh, old dirty bastard. Okay, wait, wait till the wait till the lyrics hit for a second. I could do it. Here we go. Here we go. I thought that's old dirty bastard. Fast forward to the O.D. Beaver. I can't find it. Just play your song. ODB is going to have a good verse on that. Here it is. Dude, it's pretty fucking good. Fucking ODB, he would have been a great dopey guest. Yeah. I want Flavor Flav. He was in, uh, I was at Impact in, in LA, in, uh, outside LA, and I think he was there. The and I old dirty bastard straight from the Brooklyn Zoo? I think, yeah, I think he was there, and they took him to like concerts and stuff. He's dead, right? He's dead. Yeah. yeah. Alright, I'll play the sign and then we'll be done. You want me to play Forever and Dead? I want you to play a verse of Forever and Dead. No, I have to do the whole thing. Well, which one do you want to play? I was going to play it, but if it's the Matt Pinfield episode, I'm going to play Forever and Dead. Play Forever and Dead because it's fucking cool. Uh, one, two, three, four, ever in debt. Does that sound the same? One, two, three, four, ever in debt. Building standing set, standing their ground to defend against the rest. We're all at odds. Don't forget your bets from the roof. I yell, you hardly break a sweat. Sabotage is no longer camouflage. Almost in the open, so you better quit your job. Can't say it looks too good. Could be a mirage pointed at your head. I think it's time to dodge. And I haven't paid my rent, and my money's all but spent. Plan to take it over, but I haven't made a dent. I lost some folks I used to call my friends. They'll all be back when I'm on my feet again. But sabotage is no longer camouflage. Almost in the open, so you better quit your job. I can't say it looks too good. Could be a mirage pointed at your head. I think it's time to dodge Forever is a long time To pay that kind of price 
Matt said we should have sent that to Clive Davis. So Matt Pinfield, if you heard that, I think you could discover me, and I could be some big, you know, guy. Yeah. But um, until then, uh, take care, Dopey Nation, and toodles. You say take care, Dopey Nation. Stay strong. That's the new. That, is, that the, strong, is that the new tagline? Take care, Dopey Nation. Take care. And see ya. We need That's an a new exit one. voiceover. That's the new one. Take care, Dopey Nation. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> Can we do it like that from now on? Sure. Okay. Okay. So take care, my brethren and sister. And see ya. See ya. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller, smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had